Shalom and welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and we welcome you to our podcast and TV show for today. Uh, these podcasts uh, are brought to you right now by Advocare, a healthcare and home health agency out of South Florida. And they want me to remind you that if you have a loved one, uh, who is living in that swath of geography from Palm Beach County down to um, Miami-Dade. And you can't get there and you get a phone call, let's say, in the middle of the night or 11 o'clock in the evening and something's going on with mom or dad or a sister or a brother or a very close friend and you need somebody to help you out. Avricare is there to help you. They assist with medical issues, physician and medical uh, center selection, home health care, um, senior living options. They provide a complete menu of support to those clients wanting to stay in their own home and age in place as long as possible. Your family is going to be assigned a, med- a medical social worker or a nurse care manager to take you through the process. They're going to be in touch with you every step of the way. Um, Advocare is located again in Palm Beach County down to Miami-Dade, and they're there to help you give you some peace of mind in moments of crisis. If you would like to contact them, um, their website is caremanager.com. That's caremanage, caremanage.com. And the phone number to contact them is area code 561-266-3489. That's area code 561-266-3489. 3489. It's com, And if you connect with them, please tell them that you heard about it on the Secrets of Meaning podcast. Seek, thinking of uh, meaning and seeking of meaning, we are very, very happy to welcome uh, to today's podcast Rabbi Arye Goldman, uh, a member of the Las Vegas Colel. And we're going to talk about his brand new book. Uh, which is entitled Love, Peace, and Pursue It. Love, Peace, and Pursue It. So first of all, Baruch Haba Aryeh, welcome to Secrets of Meaning. It's nice to see you. How's life in Las Vegas today? Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to join your program. Life in Las Vegas is great. A little cold today, Good. but other than that, everything is amazing. Well, you probably got very little sympathy for a lot of people because it's wintertime on the East Coast and um, the odds are the weather's are probably a little bit better where you are. And uh, But who knows? You know, life is good and uh, we welcome you. This is a very, very interesting, uh, fascinating book. Uh, it talks a lot about, well, if I could try to summarize it, how sacred texts inform uh, very, very powerful moral issues in our life, like speech and relationships, and how so many of the texts, which you've done a tremendous job researching and, and relate, relating, can really speak to us. Um, so you start off with talking about speech, the idea of Lashon and Lashon Hara, and um Talk to me about why you started with this. What, what's so powerful um, in this idea of loving peace and pursuing it with what we say? Um, I guess the best way I would describe it is that all of us really recognize the responsibilities that we have as a moral human being. 
to be able to speak in a positive and appropriate way about our friends, family, neighbors, and others. Certainly when we think about the damage and the negativity we could bring to our families, to our communities, and to the world through speaking about others in such a negative way, it certainly can be such an, an inspiration for us to really want to improve in this kind of area. Yet at the same time, I found for myself and I find for others, it's sometimes such a challenge to really get to a place in our lives where the words that we speak to others and about others really reflects respect, compassion, kindness, as opposed to criticism, arrogance, negativity. And I feel like the importance of working on getting to a better place in this area is so beneficial both for ourselves and for others. So that's really why I was motivated to begin the uh, discussion about loving peace and pursuing it by focusing on a tangible element of how we relate to others, which is really the way that we speak about others. You know, and the reason why I think this book is so timely, um, and for our colleagues out there or educators who may be listening or eventually watch this, uh, there's, uh, the book is chock full of really, really good resources and text, uh, to use as a teaching technique. The, um, we're in the midst of a society where civility and civil language seems to, the ability to just talk civilly with somebody else has disappeared. Uh, that's why I think this is why I wanted to talk to you about this book because it's very, very timely. You, you, uh, channel the Chofetz Chaim and, and for there may be one, just maybe one or two people out there who have not run across that. So I want you to just, just give us a 30 second what is, who is Chofetz Chaim? But you, you, you quote him and, and you talk about, um, the symbolic understanding of, of how we speak reflects the inner, the inner being, which I thought was a very, very interesting concept. So could you comment on that? What, what does that mean? Okay. Interesting. So the Chofetz Chaim is actually the name of a book, but it's written by someone named Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, who lived, um, in the mid-19th century toward the mid-20th century. And he reflected on the fact that there were so many people who he came into contact with who were dedicated to really being moral people, to being spiritually motivated people, people who believed in the concept of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, yet they seemed to have such a difficulty speaking in the right way about others. And he wrote a book which really gives a lot of the moral perspectives that are really helpful for a person to really improve in the way that they speak about others. And one of the things that he alludes to, but he doesn't really spell it out so, so clearly, which is what I was trying to maybe expound on what he was getting at, is the fact that so much of the way that we speak about others really reflects on what our inner thoughts and perspectives are about other people. Like imagine if we think in our minds that we live in a world with, with people who are just terrible. And everywhere we look and turn, we see people that we look at as foolish, bad people, people who we have no care and concern about, 
people who we really don't really think of in any kind of manner of respect. So then the way that we're going to speak is really going to be reflective of so many of these thoughts and perspectives. And I tried to analyze a little bit about how maybe we can change some of these perspectives. We're not going to agree with everyone. We may have different opinions and perspectives about so many different topics under the sun. At the same time, we also may feel like people are making mistakes in their lives. But instead of looking at all of these people that we think of as people who are foolish and people who are bad, is there a way that we could bring ourselves to really finding a way to respect them in a meaningful kind of way, despite the fact that they're human beings, despite the fact that they're far from perfect, despite the fact that we might have different opinions than others about so many important topics, but we still may be able to find a way to bring ourselves to finding true, meaningful respect for people we disagree with. There's so many of us right now who are trying to teach this, uh, either from the Bema or in a class, um, and I'm sure this has come up in the Kolel. How, how do you how do you take that ideal from Chofetz Chaim, and how do you sit down with a group of people, a 20, 25 people in a class, who will say, "Gee, that really sounds nice, Rabbi," but no, uh, get let's get real. What? How do you teach that? That's really. Good question. I wish I knew all the answers to that. But some of the thoughts that come to my mind that I tried to share in the book really relate to so often really trying to see the whole picture. That so many times, if we really look at some sort of meaningful disagreement that we have with someone, so if we break down the disagreement, we can so often really recognize that we probably agree on 80% of what the real true issue is. And a lot of what we're disagreeing about is really that last 20%. If you take almost any political issue under the sun and really break it down to its core, most people are going to agree to the essential elements of what's really relevant to the conversation. Most people are going to say we care about people. We want people in general to be happy and to get along. And we recognize that these people have rights and those people have rights and they really need to compromise and work together to find the right kind of answer. And the question really is, how do you balance the rights in this particular situation? And if we're really honest, we should be able to really understand where the other person's coming from, even if we don't really fully agree with what they're saying. But I understand why you would say what you're saying. And I hope that you understand why I'm saying what I'm saying. We may disagree about practically what should we do in a situation where there are conflicting uh, factors going on. And it's true both for general political conversations, as well as it's true for so many of our personal interactions with others. There's usually so much more in common that we have than that which we're disagreeing about, but it's so easy for us to so often just focus on those last 20% and to really look at only what we disagree about and to really look at it as such polar opposites in what our thoughts are and how we should approach the situation. And if we train ourselves to really see where the other person is coming from, 
it's certainly one of the key secrets into being able to really work with others and find true respect for others. So, Arya, I mean, we're in the middle of this huge rise in anti-Semitism. How, if I'm sitting next to somebody and we're having this conversation and, and they started to spew all these tropes and anti-Semitic stuff, talk to me about how I can say, well, that's only, I have to, you know, what's really going on. It's not a time, perhaps, an, an, an analysis of, gee, you're saying all this anti-Semitic stuff, so it really must be reflective of how your own self-image is, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to me about that, because that's, people are actually having to deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and it's not easy. I mean, I, sure. But it's very real. It's very real. So how, how, you know, how do we negotiate that? Unless there are some times where sometimes you have to say, you know, I'm out of here. I just, right now we can't talk. That is really, really interesting. Um, certainly a very difficult kind of topic. Um, Certainly, our personal safety is something that we're all extremely concerned about, and we want to make sure that we do whatever we can in our ability to really make sure that we protect ourselves. But so often, when we do hear about anti-Semitic remarks, and we do encounter someone who might um, express anti-Semitic remarks, so we always have the opportunity on our own to really decide how we're going to process it. And really, it says a lot about our character as far as how we process the information that we get when someone else has certain negativity toward us. So many situations, many of the times that we hear about an anti-Semitic remark, so we'll first think to ourselves, what can I do practically to make sure that um, I protect my own security? But so often, even after our own security is protected, and there's nothing more that we can do at the current moment to, to protect our security. So then it's really up to us to ask ourselves, what do I think about this person? And let's say what we find in our minds and hearts is that I find that I have a tremendous amount of negativity toward this person who has negativity toward me. And we ask ourselves, what function does that have in my life? Is that something that's reflecting the fact that I wish we could really get along. I wish we were at a place where really we could respect each other. We could care about each other. We could work together in a positive and productive kind of manner. Unfortunately, that's not how you feel about me. But you know what? I want to protect myself from getting hurt by you. But at the same time, in my mind and heart, I wish we were in a place where we could get along in a more productive kind of way. So that's a very high standard to ask for ourselves to really have those thoughts and feelings at such a time. But at the same time, it should certainly be a goal that we're striving for. Our goal should be that, of course, we need to protect ourselves. It says very clearly in the Torah, you know, God doesn't want us to allow others to hurt ourselves without doing our best to protect ourselves. But at the same time, like, what's my goal? What do I want to accomplish? Do I want to win? Do I want to show that person who has negativity toward me that I'm really better than he is and that really he's the bad guy and I'm the good guy? It's a nice goal, but it doesn't really get us anywhere. And it doesn't really reflect 
true moral and Torah values. So if our goal could be that aside from doing what we need to do to protect ourselves, I want to bring positivity. I want to bring good feelings to all of the people in my environment as much as I can, even to those who may not feel the same way about myself. It's a high expectation again, but it's something that hopefully we could at least be striving for. I think that's one of the reasons why in the book, uh, the value, the traditional value of chesed, you, you, you talk about this throughout the book. It comes through in, in, in so many ways and so many different pages of trying to understand in a literal and a more figurative way what chesed could possibly be. And it is an ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it is an ideal. And in the real world, sometimes, um, just not going to happen at a particular period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the book, and again, we're talking to Rabbi Aryeh Goldman of the Las Vegas Kolel about his new book, Love, Peace, and Pursue It. Um, you have, a, a, as I said before, a lot of texts that have real relevance to the world in which we're living here. And and, and um, one of them is from Proverbs. You, you quote Proverbs, I think it's 1821, which talks about life and death are in the hands of the tongue. And, uh, I remember I read that and said, you know, that's the, f- the first thing that I thought of. And I wanted you, your comment on this, uh, is the relevance of that particular quote from Proverbs to social media today mm-hmm. and the cyberbullying and the use of, uh, especially in, well, all ages, but I know a lot of young people are significantly affected by this and the use of, um, social media issues to attack somebody long distance or without even saying, you know, confronting them face to face, but by just, you know, texting something. Um, talk to me about how you interpret that, that wonderful passage from uh, Proverbs. It's a beautiful, it's a high holiday sermon, but which, which we're not going to get. Don't worry about it. Okay. That is for sure. It's such a powerful statement because certainly one of the most challenging things about being careful about how we speak about others is that sometimes it seems like it's innocuous. It's not really such a bad thing. You know, we would all have hesitations before walking over to someone and physically abusing them. Certainly to strike back, even at someone who strikes against us, you know, we would have lots of hesitations before we do such a thing. To be able to physically or financially directly hurt someone is something that we would often be very hesitant before doing. But at the same time, the way that we speak to others or about others, sometimes we don't really recognize how much damage we could really do to someone's reputation, to someone's emotional feelings, by the way that we interact with them, by what we say to them or what we say about them. And in Proverbs, Proverbs, that's really what King Solomon is sharing with us, is he's saying that, Stop and think about what the impact of our words really are toward the other person. We may just say it without really thinking too too much about it. It was just something that I said to my friend or something that I posted. I didn't really realize that this would cause him such pain in his heart. I didn't realize that this would cause him to lose his job. I didn't really realize that this would cause him such anxiety and such stress in his life. And King Solomon's highlighting to us, when we think about 
what we say about others. We should really recognize the implications. I know for myself, and probably it's true for most of us, our reputation is something that is such an important thing in our minds and hearts. We're often so anxious about what is my reputation going to be? We invest time, energy, money into trying to build a healthy and positive reputation for ourselves, our businesses. And in a way, our reputation can be shattered, you know, by certain things that someone says, you know, without really thinking too much about it. It's uh, such a powerful tool that God has given us. Our mouths, we could speak in ways that are so helpful to others, and they bring life, they bring fulfillment, they bring happiness. You know, the words, I respect you, I care about you, I love you, I believe in you. There are such easy words that can bring such positivity toward others. Life is in the hands of our tongues, but death is also in the hands of our tongues, sometimes being able to embarrass someone in public. I just had a conversation with someone who uh, had called me up, and he had told me he's um, probably around the age of 50 now, and he's a rabbi in a community. And he was talking to me about an experience that he had when he was 15 years old. And he was interacting with someone who was a role model for him, who thought that he made a mistake. And this person publicly shamed him in a way where about 35 years later, he's still calling up someone to help me work through this pain that I have in my heart. Help me work through this experience that I had 35 years ago. I'm a successful rabbi these days, but I still wake up in the morning and the pain that's in my heart from this experience is still very much on my on my mind and in my heart. And to me, it was just so eye-opening because sometimes we might think, like, just get over it. But apparently that's not what happens. You know, when someone hurts us with their words, it could sometimes really stick in our hearts in a very meaningful way so many years later. So I think that's really so much of the message King Solomon was highlighting to us is recognize the implications of the words that we use, both the positive implications that could be so helpful and the negative implications that could be so hurtful to us. Yeah, it's, 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 that's why I wanted to, it's a great, it's a great passage. I mean, if you're teaching a, t a group of teenagers, just do that one first and say, okay, what does that say to you? And I, I, it would be interesting to see how many of them take out their phones. Um, and the idea of dignity, I mean, it goes, this is such at the root of our tradition. And then a lot of the older, the older adults work that we do at Jewish Sacred Aging, there's a riff in, and I think it's, um, Masechet Chidushin, aware on the discussion on Kavod, uh, and Tiru and honor and respect about the, the if you're, you don't, correct your adult parent you don't correct your parent in public thereby reducing their sense of dignity and purpose but it, it you know it's, it's multi-generational but it's this why i think the you, a lot of the material in your book is so relevant um you talk a lot about in the second part of the book the idea of relationships the nature of relationships and one of the texts that you quote and again a great passage to teach great teaching passage you could do a whole curriculum of about 10 texts in here and, and have them very relatable to things that people are living right today. So you're channeling, I think, um, Psalm 126. I think it's Psalm 126 about, um, it's really the, the Debbie Friedman song, uh, uh the, sow what you reap. 
you know, and, but uh, I think the quote that you use is invest, uh, and you sow what you invest relating it to relationships. Talk a, talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Okay. So it's really such a powerful line. Sometimes it's actually used more in the context of wagging our finger at someone and telling them after they've made a mistake, you're going to sow what you reap. But really, when we think about it beforehand, and we think about so many of the challenges that really come up in our relationships, often comes from the fact that we don't necessarily look at the big picture beforehand. When we recognize every time that we're interacting with our children, I know for myself, trying to make sure that I stay off my phone more than I do, you know, when I'm sitting there at bedtime with my eight-year-old. So in a way, when you think about it from a broader perspective, these are such times to cherish, such times where a father and a son could really look back and see, you know, bedtime was such a special opportunity to tell a story, to spend time, to really share some positive moments that could last forever in our hearts. But so often at the moments, like we're not really looking at the big picture. What we're looking at is, I'm tired, he's tired, let's just get to sleep quickly and let's move on. But when you think about seeing the big picture and seeing, what am I going to think 10 years from now? Was I there for my child? Was I there for my spouse? Was I there for my parents, for my friends, for my siblings? And the one who benefits the most from this kind of focus of trying to recognize, I'm going to be the one who's sowing what I reap. I'm going to reap what I sow. Whatever I put into this relationship is what I'm going to get out of the relationship. If I focus on my own selfish needs much more than I think about what I could do for my son, for my wife, for my friends, at the end of the day, what I'm going to get out of the relationship is a selfish focus on really just prioritizing my own needs. The other person in the relationship is not going to appreciate me as much as I would like, and I'm not going to appreciate me as much as I would like. If I really try to live in the moment and really think about, I'm investing in myself, I'm investing in my child, I'm investing in my friend, in my spouse, in my relationship with my parents. And if I have that focus on, I'm investing, I'm doing something that's so beneficial for myself and for others. The more we could really live in the moment in that kind of way, at the end of the day, we're going to be reaping all of the rewards from that. To be able to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I was a pretty good dad. I was a pretty good husband. I was a pretty good person in all of my relationships to the best of my own abilities. Yeah, I mean, that's... For those of us who are grandparents and are, are now working with adult children, our adult children who are now parents, it's, um, it's amazing how much exactly what you're saying is one million percent true. And a little comment, you know, thanks. Cause I remember when it priceless. It really is priceless. So all those nights of reading Good Night Moon or, uh, whatever, whatever your, whatever the current book is, uh, um, you're absolutely, that's why that passage is, it really is a beautiful uh, passage from Psalms. It really just is spectacular. Again, we're speaking with Rabbi Arya Goldman, uh, whose new book, Love, Peace and Pursue. We'll be right back with one more text that I wanted to, wanted to ask you about because it is very, very relevant, especially in many ways to, uh, 
uh, many of our generations. But uh, my friend in South Florida, Amy Siegel, who runs Advocare, wanted me to remind you they're sponsoring these uh, Secrets of Meaning podcasts right now about Advocare, a full-service care management company which serves Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and the Palm Beaches, all the way from Palm Beach County down to Miami-Dade. Advocare is a professional health advocate service available 24-7 to assist you in your needs uh, and your family's needs in South Florida. They know the best resources and how to navigate the healthcare system. Very, very important um, for you and your entire family. They can accompany people to doctor's appointments, provide professional support in an ER, and communicate uh, with medical providers and most importantly of all, keep you totally informed, even though you may be thousands of miles away. And as Amy has reminded me of their slogan, elders here, family there, rest assured with AdvoCare. And you can contact them on their website, www.caremanage.com. And the phone number down there is 561, area 561 266 3489. That's area 561-266-3489. One other text before we start to run out of time. Again, a, a, um, a really wonderful one. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 15.8, I think you cite, that talks about, um, providing that which is lacking. That one does not, uh, one opens, I, I think it's patakhtiv talk, open up your hands, uh, uh, to your fellow and provide for them that which is chaser, lacking, which they lack. When I read that, um, in the book and then started to think about it, first thing that came to my mind was the healthcare system in the United States of America. And the obligation of a society, which does come from a variety of Jewish scholars as well, because one of the workshops we do, um, that part of the moral obligation that we have is to provide uh, a minimum aspect of health care for people who lack it. Um, how do you resonate to that? I mean, because I mean, the beauty of the text, the text, uh, as every rabbi teaches, you don't have to go any further than the sacred text to really get it, you need to live in the contemporary world. But talk to me a little bit about how you understand um, that passage from Deuteronomy about providing that which is lacking. Okay, so it's actually such a powerful text, especially as the Gemara, the Talmud expounds on it. It gives an example of how far that this responsibility goes. Because generally, when we think about kindness, like as you're mentioning, even from a secular humanism perspective, everyone knows that kindness is a major part of our moral responsibility. We all know we have to be kind to others. Every parent teaches that to their children. Every parent tries to uh, live up to those standards themselves. But one of the big questions we have in our minds is really how far does our responsibility go? Because certainly we're limited in our resources, we're limited in our time, our energy, and we can't spend 24-7 just focused on other people. We also need to take care of ourselves um, as well. But there's so many times that we limit in our minds how much I'm really responsible to help others, even when I really can. For example, there's so many times we might say to ourselves, even though it seems that he needs it, 
but he shouldn't need it. He shouldn't want it. This shouldn't bother him. And a lot of times we make so many judgments in our own minds about how other people should be. So certainly we can imagine if someone uh, from the 17th century woke up one day in the 21st century and sees that we're bothered because of the fact that our air conditioning isn't working so well. And they would say, come on, big deal, get over it. You know what we have to go through? You know what our personal comforts you know, are like? And we would probably say to them, yeah, but you don't really understand why I need this so badly. You know, you can't really relate to who I am and why for me being myself growing up in the 21st century, if our air conditioning is not working well, that's really hard for us. So the Talmud relates that there was once a very, very wealthy person who back in the day, this goes back almost 2000 years. So it's uh, hard to relate to what exactly was going on, but the wealthy people used to have horses running in front of them. They used to have people who were running in front of those horses. And it was a sign of dignity. It was the old, the old school form of the Rolls Royce or the Lamborghini. And imagine if someone was used to that. And that's really what their expectation was for themselves. And let's say they lost all their money. And this person who used to be driving the Rolls Royce, he now has to drive a 25-year-old car because that's all he can afford. But let's say I have the resources where I can really give him the ability to buy a much more luxurious car, similar to what he's used to. So it's so easy for me to tell myself, well, you shouldn't need it. Why can't you just drive, you know, the same car that the average person drives? And the Gemara tells us that one of the great Torah scholars, he himself took it upon himself where he was going to run in front of this person's horses because the person couldn't afford it himself. And he was the one, he referred to this verse that says, Give him what he himself needs. And it's such an eye-opening perspective. In That's one extreme kind of scenario, but we find it in all of our relationships where we're all ready to help someone who's starving to be able to get some food in order to survive. But so often we might tell ourselves, whether it's about our husband, our wife, our friends, our neighbors, I'm not going to help him in this manner because it shouldn't be something that he wants. It shouldn't be something that he needs. It's not something that I would need. So if I wouldn't need it, why should he need it? Why can't he get over it? And it really just opens our minds to a whole different meaning of what it means to live in someone else's shoes. It's really to try to understand who he is, what he needs, and how I could help him to the best of my ability in a way that I'm not sacrificing taking care of myself but I'm really dedicated to understanding what someone else wants, what someone else needs, what's really going to make his life more beneficial and more productive. And if I could help him with that, I want to help him with that. So that to me was something that's such an amazing message where if we really have that perspective of, I really am trying to understand them and I want to help them as much as I possibly can. All right, before we run out of time, one, one final real easy, one final easy question. Your, as you, your moral code is, a, you allude to this in the book. And I think, um, somewhere around page 111, your moral, thus focus the center, the core of your moral code 
is Torah, is God, what is it? What, what is the center, that moral North Star for you as a rabbi, as a human being? That's a very good question. I feel like to a large extent, all of us to lo- in our subconscious, so much of our moral code is based on the environment that we live in. And so many of the different standards of morality that really get into our core beliefs are really based on the impressions that we get from the people who we interact with throughout our lives. But at the same time, like so much of what our job is, is to really be consciously aware of what we want our moral code to be. Because just because our neighbors may believe that they could speak however they want about others. Just one example that comes to my mind that's just such a powerful illustration of this is, you know, that book, The Chavetz Chaim, he says in that book about 50 times the following statement. He says, you're not allowed to say something negative about others, even if it's true. Even if you feel like someone did something wrong, you're not allowed to share it with others. Even if someone has hurt us, we're not allowed to share the negativity with others, unless it's for the purpose of our own self-protection. So why does he say it about 50 times in the book? I feel like it's because it's not really what most people believe. When you think about the American society and really the world society nowadays, everyone knows that slander is inappropriate. But the definition of slander is saying something negative about someone that's not true. Let's say it's true. It's almost a mitzvah. It's almost an obligation to share it with as many people as quick as possible in the most hurtful kind of way, which is a little bit, unfortunately, the environment that we live in as rabbi, as you were mentioning before, that, you know, that social media, it reflects this mindset of if someone really did something wrong, every news station should broadcast it as loud as possible, as soon as possible. And if I get the breaking story first, then I've made my day. Where it should really be the opposite. How could you feel comfortable blasting someone in public just because they've done something wrong? There are times where we need people to know for our personal safety. But the Torah really gives us such a different perspective about this aspect of morality and really about every aspect of morality. And the more we try to have it, that we try to find what is God's standard of morality, which is really defined to us in the Torah that he wrote and gave to us, where he taught us the standards of morality are love your neighbor like yourself. We all say those words, but when you think about what the Torah is really teaching us, it's very clear in the Torah where our goal in life is to not be selfish. Our goal in life is not to be egotistical. Our goal in life is not to hurt people with our words, our actions, or in any way possible. Our goal in life is really to strive for excellence in our own personal development and our excellence in the way that we treat others and excellence in the way that we have a relationship with our God. And these are standards that you're not going to find in modern day society or in any society that's not dictated, you know, by God himself, where God tells us, I created you guys with the potential to really be excellent in your moral standards. So it's such an important thing that I feel like I try to highlight in the book, bringing so many resources that don't necessarily hold us to the standard today, but they give us something to strive for 
which is really the standard of excellence in the way that we treat others as much as we can, one step at a time, as we always like to remind ourselves. And that's why when we began with Chesed, and I'm glad you end with Chesed, and um, Rabbi Arye Goldman of the Las Vegas Kolel, the book Love, Peace, and Pursue It out now. Um, somebody wanted to contact you, Arye. What, what, what's the best way? Email, uh, Kolel, just if you, if you don't mind, um, the, what would that I'd be? I'd be happy if, uh, anyone should feel free to contact me on my personal email, A-R-Y-E-H, Arye, Goldman, one, two, three at gmail.com. Listen, stay healthy, stay well. Uh, good luck with the book. Uh, and uh, really, again, thank you for your time. And um, for my colleagues and educators out there, it's great resource, great teaching tech uh, tool for for whole multi generations uh, in the book. So thanks, Ari. Thank you so much for the Take opportunity. Care. And to all of you, thank you again for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Um, remember, if you would like to uh, make a tax-free donation to help us continue this work and these podcasts, go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and just click on the Donate button. And if you would like to think about uh, becoming a sponsor to several of these podcasts, as Advocare is uh, this month, again, email me at rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. A reminder that Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubeckin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And a big shout out and Todah Rabbah to our producer, Steve Lubeckin. Thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address, and I look forward to greeting you again on our next Seekers of Meaning podcast and TV show from Jewish Sacred Aging. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and most of all, as the Rabbi has reminded us, be kind. Todah Rabbah, Shalom.